Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio episode number 208. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here to celebrate Disney Plus Day, the true Disney Plus Day. Yes, launch day was November 12, 2019. That will forever be Disney Plus Day. So, in celebration of the day, we are also reviewing this year's live-action remake of Pinocchio, because this is just what Disney is going to do. They're just going to make live-action remakes that are going to go straight to Disney+, Plus, whether we want them or not. And we're going to sit here and we're going to talk about them. Here's my problem with this, and I don't care if I'm burying the lead. We've watched this movie a few times. And this is one of the few times that I have sat in front of this microphone, we've turned everything on, we've hit record, and truth be told, I don't know if I like this movie or not. And I feel like... I'm going to, like, flesh all of this out in conversation, but it's a little concerning that I don't know if I like the movie or not. It's very concerning because I'm in exactly the same boat, no pun intended. I was hoping that you would have more of a definitive opinion on this film, and that would help me figure out my own, but we're just going to go in on a blind here and um, our final synopsis is going to be a surprise for everyone. Yes, we're all going to go on this journey together. We are not going to give you the plot of this film because it is a live action remake. If you want to hear the plot of Pinocchio, first up, wake up because you have to be asleep if you don't know the plot of Pinocchio. But if you don't know, you can go back and listen to episode number 76 when we review and discuss the original Animated classic, I will link it in the show notes. Well, to be fair, a lot of people may not know the actual plot of Pinocchio because they only know the Disney animated version. I mean, this story has been told and retold probably as many times as Cinderella. Like, remember when we were kids, they did, I think it was A Wonderful World of Disney. There was one where Drew Carey was Geppetto. Oh, my God, that's right. Yes, that was not a fever dream. No, but the Jonathan Taylor Thomas one was. Oh, that's... Wait, that wasn't the same one? I didn't think so. Because I think the JTT one, I don't think that that was even Disney. I think that that was like another company that made Pinocchio. Possibly. Oh, I totally conflated the two of them. Well, point is, this has been retold quite a number of times. And that sort of got my wheels spinning as far as the changes that were made for what Disney Plus likes to now call the reimagined classics. It's not even a live action remake anymore, which I I guess I appreciate that they acknowledge because there's very little of this that is live action other than Tom Hanks, but I digress. We'll get there. So anyway, I got curious as to whether or not the changes in this version had to do with pulling more from the original source material, because as we all know, when a movie gets Disney-fied, Uh, They clean up a lot of the darker fairy tales, like, for example, in Cinderella, they're chopping off the ugly stepsister's feet to try and get them to fit the shoe, or Hans Christian Andersen's version of The Little Mermaid, the original version, is extremely dark. Um, So I thought maybe um, that could be the case here, not that this film is very dark, but 
I started to deep dive into the origin story a little bit because that wasn't something that we talked about a lot in our initial review. We focused more on, you know, the making of Pinocchio because there, you know, it, Walt Disney himself touched it. It was his second film. Um, and there is a lot more history behind it. So there was a lot more behind the scenes information that we were able to learn and share on that episode. But we really never hit on the book, which was written by Carlo Collodi. Um, he's an Italian author. Collodi is not actually his real name. Uh, it is Lorenzini. Collodi is the name of the town uh, where Pinocchio was supposed to take place, and he took it on as his name. Um, and he released the story almost episodically, serially okay. at the time. So yeah. it was published in bits and pieces. And um, the only dark parts, really, that I found was that Pinocchio, not the real live boy Pinocchio, but Pinocchio as this puppet was killed a couple of different times throughout these stories, um, which is interesting because I didn't know that you could kill a puppet. And, and I mean, I guess that is the whole idea behind the original animated version, right? Is that he drowns and then he, the, the blue fairy changes him. Right. Because right. he's earned his stripes as a real boy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that was one of the biggest differences. Um, and other than that, there's not a lot of, dark symbolism like i know a lot of people think that the idea of pleasure island has to do with kidnapping or pedophilia and it's nothing like that what actually um it, it's supposed to be a political and social commentary of how italy was at the time and uh geppetto was actually very poor and pinocchio is trying to help him um so the whole thing with Pleasure Island uh, comes from the idea that uh, if you didn't go to school, you were called a donkey. That And Jiminy is uh, warning him, you need to go to school, otherwise you're going to grow up to be a fool. Right. Uh, but donkey is actually, um, it has a double meaning in this case, because that was also what... Um, physical laborers were called so the way that we would say oh they're as strong as an ox or they're a workhorse now back in the day in italy it was a donkey and this this whole idea of pleasure island that you go there and you're turned into a donkey has more to do with if you don't get an education that's how you're going to end up is doing physical labor for the rest of your life um so so that's one myth that got debunked for me um, another was, um, in the animated one, um, Honest John gets a couple of coins off Pinocchio. Um, and in the book, they later end up in court. So that ended up being a whole metaphor for the government taking your money, um, and had nothing to do with trying to sway people away from a life in show business, uh, which I think is a common misconception. And then the other metaphor, which I found really interesting, was that in the books, um, like I said, Pinocchio was trying to help Geppetto financially um, and ended up causing Geppetto to incur a lot of debt from a loan shark, quote unquote, which is where Monstro comes into play. Interesting. 
Yeah, it it's really it it really was. I was reading this for quite a while. Actually, Smithsonian released an article on it. Uh, that's where I got most of my information from. So I can link that on our social media if anybody's interested. Um, oh, so actually, like a historical website? Yeah, not, not no, like this was not researched off of internet videos because most of them are just doing, you know, on surface value. Oh, I did a deep dive into Pinocchio, and it's really dark and. It, it's a lot of the myths that I am now debunking. I hope that's to debunk. I, well, that's what I'm saying. It's like no, most people are just sitting there. I mean, listen, give somebody a computer and two hours of free time and they can spin yarns about any sort of crap. So the fact that the, you know, you're able to actually go and find it from the Smithsonian, who I don't know, I don't know about you, but I think them to be a fairly credible source. Um, I, I think I appreciate that you took the time to debunk some of the nonsense so that we can focus on how this telling of Pinocchio, similar to the other, is so different from what the true story was. Yeah, I was happy to find the information from a credible source, especially because, you know, this film does mean something to me. You know, we've mentioned on the show before, I am 100% Italian. My my whole family is from Italy. Um, so I was happy to dive in and, and find out more about it, especially learning, you know, about the, the village that this was supposed to take place in. Um, you know, and considering that in an Italian film, Lorraine Bracco is really the only, uh, person whose name ends in a vowel that they cast in this one. I wanted to go back to the roots. I have Luck of the Irish and Darby O'Gill in the Little People, okay? I just, I'm just putting that out there. I just want to put that one out there. But with all of that being said, okay, let's start diving in here. Starting with the introduction to our Jiminy Cricket, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who, like, I love him just in, everything. in general. Going all the way back to when he was on Third Rock, he was so good on Third Rock. He is incredible here. Like, I was so cautiously optimistic when I heard that he was playing Jiminy Cricket, only because the role is so iconic. Frankly, and I'm sure that we're going to touch on some of his dialogue as we move through the plot here, I, I think he did a commendable job as Jiminy Cricket. Oh, I think he absolutely slayed. And to your point, you know, we, we had mentioned this a lot when we reviewed the animated version that Jiminy Cricket just transcends the film. And he, especially for the wishes stand over here, he is so ingrained in the parks for me. Um, JGL had enormous shoes to fill and I think he did a really incredible job. Um, I think he got the voice in terms of the time period, like that 1940s lilt on it. Yeah. Um, and actually what Robert Zemeckis, the director instructed him to do um, to really sort of round out the character uh, because JGL hasn't done a lot of voiceover work too. This was kind of out of his depth. Right. Um, he said, do you read stories to your kids at night? And do you do voices when you're telling them stories? And then the light bulb kind of went off like, okay, that's what I'm going to, that's how I'm going to portray this character. 
Um, what I do sorely miss, though, is when we meet Jiminy Cricket in the animation, they do that POV shot as he's hopping towards Geppetto's workshop. Mm-hmm. And it was such an amazing camera trick at the time. I can't believe, especially with all of the CGI that they use in this film, they didn't try to mimic that shot. Uh, so I miss that. And uh, I wanted to ask you, because this is something I'm kind of back and forth on. What do you think about... Uh, Jiminy is the narrator sort of passing the baton to himself. If I'm being honest, there are times in this film where it feels like a parody of itself. And I think that this is where it starts to feel that way. And it's from the jump. Like, I understand... Jiminy is our narrator. That's fine. I Like, that's acceptable. But the fact that he is talking to himself in the third person and breaking the fourth wall to do it, it there are elements where it does start to feel like a parody, and that kind of takes me out of it, as good as he is. I think the other big thing that I bump on, I, I mean, I agree with everything that you said, but the other thing is that they sort of cut the song. The film opens, the animation opens with him singing When You Wish Upon a Star. We meet him and then he takes us into his story. Um, So I was okay with him talking to himself, but you're right, the parody element of it, like especially when Jiminy as the actual character, not the narrator, right? is is sort of questioning what's about to happen to him and then the narrator's like no don't worry about it. Yeah, that took me out of it a little bit. Aside from the fact I mean, I don't know if it was that Joseph Gordon-Levitt didn't want to sing or he can't sing. I mean, I don't I have no reason to believe that he can't. Um I don't know. But I I mean, how do you I mean, I, I guess when you get the talent of Cynthia Erivo of course you have to give her a big song. You have to let her have her moment. Um, but it's just so confusing when they added so many songs. Why not add one for her and and let Jiminy keep his opening? Yeah. Um, there's... I, I, this, this entire film misses when it comes to music. There's just no two ways around it. I also feel like you lose a lot of the character development because Jiminy's such an optimist. But that comes through the song. Yeah, he's far more of a pessimist here. Um, and then I, I can, that's okay. Um, I think it's a sign of the times. I think we're just a very pessimistic culture in general. Um, and if you don't think so yet, wait till we get to news of the week. But... Like, I can under... If they're trying to make a more modern, contemporary Jiminy Cricket, I think what they did worked. I don't think that you needed to do that because I have said at nauseum, and I will say this once and only once because I want to get through this episode, you did not need to make a modern, contemporary version of Pinocchio. You don't need to make a modern version or contemporary version of any of these movies. What you should just do is make new content. 
with new characters and new stories. So I get it for what they tried to do. They accomplished it. I don't think they needed to do it. And that's the most I will say on it because otherwise I'm going to spiral. I have more, but I don't want to get too far ahead. But it does affect the point where the Blue Fairy does dub him as the conscience. And later it affects the whole movie, but we'll right. we'll put a pin in that for right now. Let's get into the workshop. Um, I love the set here, even though the cuckoo clocks are CGI. Um, well, let's let's talk about this up front. As amazing as these Easter eggs are, what do you think of them CGIing the cuckoo clocks? Um, I think this entire set looks great, except it's too much CGI. I don't understand why they relied so much on CGI for a practical set, for what should have been a practical set on a soundstage, other than it's cheap to do green screen and do the rest on a computer as opposed to building these sets. But when you're doing a live-action remake of Pinocchio, reimagined my you-know-what. This is a live-action remake. Disney doesn't want to call it a remake because that's a dirty word, but that's exactly (laughs) what it is. When you're in a wood carver's shop, the fact that not only is the puppet CGI, but all of the clocks are CGI when they're supposed to look like this beautiful artwork is an absolute miss. Yeah, I think they kind of did a disservice to the original film and to Geppetto, you know. Um, As fun as it was, I think all of the Easter eggs were distracting i mean like it was nice to see a nod to tom hanks with the woody cuckoo clock it was really cool seeing roger and jessica rabbit for robert zemeckis i died laughing every time there was a dead princess cuckoo clock um my best guess for them cgiing this was that um this was i believe a pandemic production just given the time that it came out Uh, I think this was when Disney was still trying to bounce back. So they took the cheap and easy way out doing them all CGI. However, I'm not saying that you had to hire a woodcarver to do all of these clocks and make them work. But that's what your props department is for. You're telling me you couldn't sculpt out these clocks and then rig them. Obviously, you're not going to do real clocks either because then every hour that you're trying to shoot, you're going to set them off and ruin your sound. But you're telling me that with all of the Imagineers you have at your disposal, none of them could have rigged these clocks to go off at the switch of a button behind the wall, you know? Walt Disney spent a majority of yeah. his adult life yep. in debt to the Bank of America because he wanted to make things special. That's why all of these years after his death, the parks are still a thing. Disney Plus is a thing. Unfortunately, Walt Disney is no longer a person. It's now a brand. And it's a very powerful brand, although it is losing some of its moxie, I hate to say it. And that's very much evident in the court of public opinion. But it's for reasons like this. As you just said, cheap and easy. 
Oh, the pandemic. Oh, the pandemic. Oh, the dreaded pandemic. I'm so tired of hearing the word pandemic as an excuse for everything. You can't make, you can't remake a film that was a perfect film where the filmmaker put everything on the line to make it special and do it a disservice this way. Remember something, the reason why Pinocchio 80-something years later, almost at this point, right? The reason why it's still so relevant that you can make a remake of it, that you think you can make a remake of it, that you still see Jiminy Cricket transcend the film, is because the original still holds up because you didn't go cheap and easy. And let's also not forget that Disney managed to make that film happen with a war. Yeah. He was under more budget constraints than they are now, and he still got this film out. Correct. So the pandemic wasn't really an excuse here. Um, they made it one, though, and that's that's the point. Yes. Let's talk about an ad, though, that did work for me. Um, I do really like this added layer that Pinocchio is... I don't want to say uh, a replacement, but Geppetto has experienced a big loss. Um, it's it's his wife and child. Um, so I think that Pinocchio being inspired by his grief and turning that negative into a positive was a very good addition for this story. And I hate to say it, but it, it makes Geppetto seem less like a kooky old man. I love this change because... Not that you don't love Geppetto enough to begin with, and it's Tom Hanks, so automatically you're going to love him because it's Tom freaking Hanks, but... America's dead. It was always sort of strange, though, as a kid, and I don't know that I said this on episode 76, but as a kid, uh, Geppetto was always an old man, right? And like he looked more like somebody's grandfather than somebody's father, so it seemed odd to me as a kid. I mean, I never really questioned it, because I just enjoyed it for what it was. But I always thought it was kind of weird that a gentleman of his age would only be looking now to have a son. Yes. So the fact that he he did this to ease his grief answers a lot of questions. I think that it trends in the right direction in regards to his age. But I also think that it does such an incredible job of making him a far more sympathetic character. You didn't need to do it, but it works just the same. I'm going to disagree, though, with wondering why at this stage of his life he wanted a son. I would think that the age actually works in favor of that because if you're looking back at your life and you feel some sort of element was unfulfilled, I, I would think that that's a reason for him to do this. So I'm fine with with that being enough of a reason in the animated version, but this gives such a depth to his loneliness that there's grief involved. You know, in a town where, especially that they have this added uh, extra coming in wanting to buy the clock, and he's like, no, 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 they're not for sale. It really gives a reason as to why in this town he does feel very much isolated and, you know, he's not out and about because we never really see him leave his workshop either. 
Um, what I do miss though, well, there's a couple things. Um, I miss seeing him paint the smile on Pinocchio in Mm -hmm. this case, because it's CGI, it's already carved in for us. So we don't get any of that. Um, and again, we add so many songs, but you cut my little wooden head. I don't want to hear that Tom Hanks can't sing it because he sing talks his way through every other edition that they put in here. Um, but this is a big mix for me, especially because you you know how Tom Hanks loves to dive into his roles. I don't believe for a second that he wouldn't have taken some puppeteering class to learn how to, you know, move Pinocchio around. I would have loved to see more of that. And what really destroys it for me is that in the song, My Little Wooden Head, he says, um, I'm mighty proud of you. And by losing that line, even though Pinocchio is not brought to life yet, um, I feel like you're losing a big part of the film because Pinocchio just wants to please his father. We don't have that connection now. We don't know why Pinocchio wants to please Geppetto. And I think that by having that line in the song established um, that Geppetto is proud of his work, um, you're losing the dynamic between the two of them. I agree. Um, yeah, the sing talking, uh, that's exactly how I had it written, that he just sing talks through so much. Losing that, I mean, he's still charming, but it definitely feels like there is a huge, huge chunk missing. Um, So Geppetto goes to bed way too early because it's only past six o'clock and he's going to bed and it's dark outside and he sees the wishing star. And you don't actually hear anything other than I wish I may, I wish I might. Really, you don't hear anything else. Um, because it cuts to Jiminy Cricket and he, as he's talking, and I, I don't really understand why they made that change. Um, Especially because I believe they give you the full thing in the trailer. Yeah, but then you do get the visit from the Blue Fairy, as you said earlier, played by Cynthia uh, Cynthia Arivo, um, who is going to be for those interested our Elphaba in the Wicked movie. I, so I have a very, very vested interest in her. I really liked her here. I do too. And I love the ethereal quality that they gave her. Um, I mean, I know sp- the special effects did the animation of her dress in the animated version. Um, this is where CGI really works in their favor. Yes. I love that she had like a, a translucent body and they didn't complete the whole body. She's just floating there. You know, I thought that she looked great. Um, I like the dialogue that she does have with Jiminy Cricket, where she says something to the effect of, why would he, why would Geppetto make himself a, a little wooden boy? And Jiminy Cricket says, well, I don't think Geppetto gets out much. <laughs> um, it was very tongue-in-cheek. It was very funny. And as she starts to grant the wish... Jiminy says, like, offhandedly to himself, oh, she's rhyming again. Again, very tongue-in-cheek. Borders on parody a little... It borders on it a little too much, but not enough where it bothers me. What bothers me here, she brings Pinocchio to life. 
I love how they did it with the bouncing off of the son's picture. I thought that was very cool. Very smart choice. Yes. She brings him to life. She didn't give him a brain right away, so she gives him one because he's just repeating things back to her and speaking very literally, and he hasn't developed a personality just yet. But what I didn't like here is she sings like a very small sliver of When You Wish Upon a Star. Yeah. I want to say that again for those in the back. She sings a very small sliver of what many would argue is the most iconic song in the history of the Walt Disney Company, the basis of which the entire original film is built on. And you don't even get the full song in this movie. Just let that sink in for a second. You did make that argument when we counted down our top 10 best songs uh, in in the Walt Disney films. That was our 200th episode. It was a painstaking process, but that was... Was that your number one? It was definitely high on your list. It was your number two. Feed the Birds was my number one. Yeah. I think that was your number two, though. I think so, because it it transcends the film. Yes. And it, it embodies the company. And instead, you not only... Like I said, I I understand why they switched it from Jiminy to the Blue Fairy, but the fact that you cut half the song and half of those beautiful, meaningful lyrics out, that that was a terrible choice. Um, What I also really don't love about this scene, I I mean, for as much as I love the Blue Fairy and how they portrayed her, especially because... um, they did her a little bit more edgy. Like they let Cynthia Erivo keep all of her, her piercings in. They just, you know, like ferried them up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was totally fine with all of that, but the pacing goes to hell in this scene. I feel like aside from the song, her lines are so rushed and the back and forth with Pinocchio and it's, well, you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this. And, I feel like they're just rushing to get him out of the house and get him into trouble. Um, Another huge miss for me. Talk about cutting songs. Uh, Always let your conscience be your guide. This is what I was talking about before where they really took away a lot of Jiminy Cricket's character because they made him reluctant to become Pinocchio's conscience, which was never the case. He was doubtful that he was the right person for the job but he didn't want to that didn't mean he didn't want to do it he wanted to please the blue fairy he was so honored that she chose him as pinocchio's conscience and then he goes into the song you know give a little whistle and always let your conscience be your guide i'm a whistle away i'm right here for you none of that instead we get Geppetto waking up. Pinocchio, Pinocchio, Holy Smokio. Like what? Those how? are some complex. We go from when you wish upon a star to Holy Smokio. Are you kidding me? This song feels like someone was trying to do a Disney song. You know what? You know what it is. This is bootleg from Rescue Rangers. That's what this feels like. <laughs> That's what this feels like. This feels like your grandparents dug in to the 2 or $3 bin at Walmart and grabbed you a VHS, if you were old enough, or a DVD, 
thinking like, oh, it's Pinocchio, not realizing, well, it's not really Pinocchio. It's just a version of Pinocchio that ripped off of Disney and did it poorly because they went cheap like Bob Chapek does. So it's like, uh, you know, I didn't think that anything would be as egregious. It ruined the whole movie for me. Nothing would ever be as egregious as the live-action remake of Beauty and the Beast where they miss the chandelier shot. Well, congratulations. Oh, no. Kudos to you, the man that made Back to the Future, Oh no, Forrest Gump, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, just to name a few, somehow managed to screw something up worse than missing the chandelier shot in the live-action remake of Beauty and the Beast. The amount of talent in that man, just in Robert Zemeckis alone, the fact that he somehow messed this up just from a music perspective, it's it's not something to be proud of. This isn't like a brass ring that you want to reach for and actually obtain. Okay, well, I think we just uncovered Sean's opinion of this film and we know which side of the fence that you're on. I mean, two of your favorite films ever, 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 he is directed. And and you're saying he missed worse than something that has bothered you for the past five years. Yeah. And, and I have a great admiration for him. I've loved his work since I was a kid. Now, will the film rebound from that? We're going to find out as we talk through it, but the fact that you are 15 minutes into the film and you 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 it's so it's so jarring that you don't have either of these songs in the film. That is exactly my point though. You're not just cutting out beloved songs you are cutting out songs that have to do with story and character. Think about what this scene is in the animated version, is that Geppetto realizes that his wish came true. He's dancing all over the place. He's happy. He's singing. He's overjoyed. And Jiminy witnesses all of this. So not only is Jiminy honored to be Pinocchio's conscience, he realizes in that moment how much is riding on him, getting Pinocchio to stay on the straight and narrow and do the right thing. You lose all of that here because you're taken out with this ridiculous nonsense sing-talky song and a cricket that doesn't really care. He just cares about having a warm place to sleep at night. He doesn't really like pledge his allegiance to Pinocchio that he's going to, you know, do whatever it takes to keep him in line. It's just like, "Oh, the blue fairy gave me nice new clothes and I'll do what I can." So I don't believe for a second that Jiminy is going to be late for school on Pinocchio's first day, which I feel like school is so unmotivated at this point because they rush through this montage of Pinocchio learning how to be a quote-unquote real boy and just learning basic behaviors, and he's asking a lot of questions. I wish they would have let that breathe a little bit more And then once Geppetto realized like maybe he was out of his depth trying to teach Pinocchio, then he sends him off to school after what seems like 
a couple of days or maybe even weeks in this montage. One day Geppetto is like, okay, you got to go to school now. Yeah, and not to be lost here, uh, Benjamin Evan Ainsworth is the voice of Pinocchio. He's great. He's fantastic. He, he sounds like the original character. He has the charm of the original character. He brings an incredible life to, you know, to, to our title character when so many other elements of these characters have been either stripped away or washed down. It's nice to see that he kind of carries the torch very well. But yeah, it seems like one day Geppetto's like, well, you're going to school. Um, and that's almost as unmotivated as the introduction of Sophia the Seagull. Ugh. Lorraine Bracco, she's fine, but this character makes no sense. We don't need this character. Well, you do, because then you have no Italians in this movie. So they made one of them a seagull? I'm saying it that that addition makes no sense, I think, is a miss. However, Keegan Michael Key is honest, John. Oh, my God. That man is brilliant. I would watch a whole spinoff of him as honest, John, quite honestly. Like if any good comes of what we've talked about so far, he's the best part of this. And if they ever did do a spinoff with that character, that might be bigger than the actual movie itself he is absolute perfection and i like that they did make the dialogue a little bit more contemporary with the social commentary and even you know fame and and being an influencer and all that kind of stuff no i love that they were mocking it no we didn't need an influencer joke in pinocchio well, I mean, he didn't say influencer like verbatim, but it it was something to the effect of having an influence. No, he but said we all knew what he in- meant. No, he said you can be an influencer. He said it specifically, and I, I just rolled my eyes and moved on with my life because of all of the egregious things that this movie has done in the first twenty minutes. That's not the most egregious thing, but you didn't need an influencer joke in Pinocchio, and you didn't need to recognize Pinocchio as an influencer. I liked it. To me, the most egregious thing about this whole scene, which baffles me to this day, is how many of the background actors are CGI. Yes. And not just like movie CGI. It looks like video game CGI in the background. And honestly, I'm very confused by that because if you're going to do a film as a SAG after film, a certain percentage of even your background actors have to be SAG-AFTRA. Well, I'm guessing that they probably got away with it because they used so many child actors when we eventually get to Pleasure Island that that was enough. Yeah, so that could fill the quota because you do eventually get... Yeah. That's probably where it tipped the scale. But st- that's... That seems awfully risky to me but it was when, cheaper, when you're involving the union. But it was cheaper than hiring an actor to walk a straight line for a day. Yes, and don't for a second think that they didn't blame that on COVID too. Well, anyway, you get Keegan-Michael Key, he's great, right? Now, you get a really good joke from Geppetto, uh, from, uh, excuse me, Jiminy Cricket, when... Um, 
Pinocchio decides that he is going to go to school after he accidentally knocks out Honest John with a mallet. Um, well, actually, no, it was Gideon knocked him out, and then Gideon knocked himself out, and then Pinocchio knocked him out again by accident. Um, yeah, because Jiminy tells him to drop the mallet, and he does on Honest John's head. Yes. Yeah. So when gravel kicks up on the dirt road, which I'm I'm pretty sure in the time period most of the roads were dirt roads. It's not like it was yesterday. Um, but Jiminy Cricket makes a joke about how, you know, the gravel's going to kick up and hurt somebody. What do our taxes pay for? And Pinocchio says, what are taxes? And Jiminy Cricket says, well, now that you're not going to be an actor, you won't have to worry about it. That joke lands. See, and I am completely distracted in that scene by the fact that they are calling so much attention to the gravel he may as well be holding up a sign that says, hey, major plot point here. You're watching a movie. How did you feel about Pinocchio actually getting into the schoolhouse and being tossed out by his teacher? Uh, the whole thing is sort of wonky for me because, again, this has to do with the failed dynamic between Pinocchio and Jiminy. In the animated one, this is Pinocchio's first temptation, and Jiminy is trying to get him to school and not give in to the obstacle that is in his path, which is Honest John and Gideon. Um, and you lose that element of Jiminy being the straight man and Pinocchio being a foil to, to him being a perfectionist. So here... You've already destroyed that by having Jiminy be late to the party. So then you get him to school only to have him kicked out. And then Honest John swoops in again. And it's like, okay, well, that was my point. Time to be an actor now. And Pinocchio is like, okay, you don't see him make that choice. See, and I liked it, though. I, I liked seeing him get tossed from the school because I like... For, well, I like it more for Honest John, really, because he's on the prowl again, and he he takes advantage of Pinocchio in a very vulnerable state. But also, Pinocchio, the whole time, and this is true even in the original film, he wants to make Geppetto happy because he wants to be a real boy. So it's sort of odd, even in the original, looking back on it now, that he would have just listened to this Honest John and did the exact opposite of what Geppetto told him to do when all he wants to do is the exact thing that Geppetto tells him to do. I understand the whole premise of Pinocchio is he's going to lose his way and you have to get him back. And the Blue Fairy plays a little bit of a role in it. Obviously, Jiminy Cricket plays a very large role in it. But I like that in this case, he did do what his father said. It did blow up in his face. And in a moment of weakness, he got pounced on. It made it a lot more predatory. And I really liked that change. See, I disagree, though, because this is Pinocchio's first day out in the world. He's already in a vulnerable state. Um, so I, I see what you mean. I, I think it speaks to the changes that they made to the Honest John character because now he's exploiting that. Um, but what I think really bothers me about it is that now we see Pinocchio interacting with the rest of the town and the teacher says school is no place for a puppet. Meanwhile, 
we haven't seen any other interaction with anyone other than Geppetto. So, and they never really do anything else about how Pinocchio is received. So it was kind of pointless other than to get him back in Honest John's clutches. Right. Honest John, who then pawns him off, sells him off to Stromboli, who is played by Giuseppe Battiston. So you get another Italian in the film set in Italy. Uh, I, I actually really like him in this role. I, I dig this Stromboli. I do too. I think they definitely amped up the villain quality. But what I don't love is, and again, this goes back to the dynamic that Pinocchio has with Jiminy Cricket. Jiminy is trying to warn him, don't believe Honest John. Stay on the straight and narrow. Don't go into show business. And Pinocchio deliberately makes a choice and goes on his own path. So now you've cut Jiminy out completely because he's trapped under a glass jar. Right. But in the animation, Stromboli pretends to be his friend. He yes. is over the top saccharine sweet. And you know that you can't trust him, but Pinocchio learns that the hard way. I wish we saw a little bit more of that diabolical qual- quality and him being two-faced because then you feel like Pinocchio learned the lesson. He turns too quickly. I have yes. that in my notes later on. But yeah, I think that he turns too quickly and they didn't really give that character an opportunity to marinate a little bit more. I also wish that they would have, oh, surprise, surprise, used practical effects with the puppet show. Gee. But that costs money. Especially when you bother to add a whole character with Fabiana and you know she's a puppet clearly she's the brains of this operation she's doing everything behind the scenes she's exhausted she's running the whole show and all Stromboli is doing is pushing the button on his uh organ yeah. device um but she's clearly the one being taken advantage of I like the character um I, there, there's something that sort of draws you in with her, and I like that. However, I don't like that her and Sabina become Pinocchio's conscience instead of Jiminy because they've they've eliminated him. They trapped him under a jar, and I feel like that was because they didn't know what else to do with him while introducing these other characters. Right. Uh, Cayenne LaMaya plays Fabiana. And at one point, she pulls what is clearly the worst ventriloquist act of all time. You could clearly see that she's not really using ventriloquism, but she also wouldn't have to because she's off stage, not with the puppet um, or the marionette in this case. But what's I'm only seeing this now. Cayenne LaMaya doesn't even voice Sabina. It's another actress. They hired another actress to be a voice artist for this meaningless character. Well, but no, see, that's the whole thing. And that's why this whole number, I Got No Strings, falls flat for me. First of all, I love the performance. in the. It is one of my favorite sequences in Disney animation, period, end of story. But the whole thing falls flat because he's got this ally now. And not only do you eliminate Jiminy, but having this other ally, it takes away the element of Pinocchio winging it. And 
defeats the whole purpose of the song. I got no strings. He cut off Jiminy. He's ready to, he thinks he can do this on his own. And then he learns his lesson. You've eliminated so much character by doing this. Um, But to your point about the bad ventriloquism, I think that they had to do that because otherwise, especially now knowing that it's a separate voice, then Fabiana becomes too real. Like almost you wonder if she is another puppet like Pinocchio that is also alive and that's why he's gravitating towards her. Well, the blue fairy must be busy bringing marionettes and puppets to life because when Stromboli throws Pinocchio in the birdcage and Jiminy Cricket shows up and Pinocchio starts telling those whoppers, as uh, Jiminy says, there's no blue fairy. The blue fairy doesn't come back. You never see... After you saw her in that one scene with the half-baked version of When You Wish Upon a Star... Never see the blue fairy again. Yeah, that's shameful. I think that's also why they gave her that song is to give her a moment because you don't see her again. But this is such a huge moment in the animation. She because even Jiminy failed in this case because he let Pinocchio end up in this situation and the blue fairy kind of blames him for that, too. Right. So she's like, all right, I'll get you out of this one. But this is the last time. You have to you have to learn and you have to keep it together. It's like the two of them. It, it feels like watching an episode of Boy Meets World where Feeney busts Corey and Sean for something. You know, you lose that buddy element. Well, that was the thing was Jimmy Cricket was learning on the fly as he was going too, but he was trying. In this case, as you pointed out before, he's kind of just there for the ride. He doesn't care one way or the other. Right. Um. Instead. We get a Coachman song, though. Oh, my God. On the way to Pleasure Island. I will give it this. I mean, okay. I think that the reason they added this song is because they cast Luke Evans. Although I can't imagine that he sat there and fought in his contract. Like, yes, I'll do your Pinocchio if you give me a song. I think they did it because they're doing this Gaston and LeFou spinoff. And to keep him happy, they let him showcase his chops. I will say this, though. The song is catchy as hell. I've actually had this stuck in my head since we watched it. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you a single line from it because it's so unnecessary. I, I, I like it that it's like this kind of almost ragtimey song. Um, I, I like it. I, I mean, I, they don't do anything spectacular with the number, like considering that you have a full cast here and you have so many kids in, in the wagon being shipped off to Pleasure Island, boys and girls now, not just boys. Um, I think this could have been a really fun song and dance number and they, it's just a Luke Evans showpiece. Which, since they bothered to do it and add this song... I feel like they could have utilized it to explain the whole Pleasure Island operation because we never really get an explanation for it in the animated one. It's just, you know, we we pick up stray little boys. You don't really flesh out the reasoning for it here. They allude to the donkeys going to the salt mines later on, but that's about it. And especially since I did learn the real reason for the metaphor from the actual story you could have explained that in this song a little bit. 
You could have, but I don't think you necessarily had to because I, I just don't think that you need this song anyway. Um, but yes, now we are on Pleasure Island with the boys and girls. So it's not just little boys that are misbehaved that are getting wrangled up to turn into donkeys. It's now little girls that are also misbehaving that are being wrangled up to be turned into donkeys, all to be sold to the salt mines. But, like, this this goes back to what I said before. I don't think everything needs to be remade, and if there are certain things that you don't want to show, don't make the film. I understand that these are children, after all. Bad children don't drink soda and eat ice cream to their heart's content. That's called being a child, in general. They break clocks, they break mirrors, they get into fights. Okay, yeah, that's the bad kid stuff. But I remember what stuck stuck with me as a child was the bad kids were not only destroying things, they were smoking, they were drinking. Like, that's a big part of, like, really owning, you know, like, owning it up when you go to Pleasure Island. Like, this is just a place for bad kids. This Pleasure Island just seems like a place for misbehaved kids. They don't seem bad. They just seem like they misbehave. And it also seems like they're being rewarded because in the animation, they have, what is it, Tobacco Land or something? Yeah. It is like the Disney world of debauchery. There are different sections. Gambling, tobacco, saloons. So in each one, you can get in different types of trouble. Here, it just kind of exploits the nature of the kids wanting to be bad. What I will say, though, I love this boat ride that takes you through the whole thing. Because in CGI land here, they really could have skirted around a lot of it and not gone deep into the set. I love that we got to see it play out and... Everything that was conceptualized, you really got to see in detail. Um, And I really like that last room that they go through with the breaking clocks where Lampwick is, uh, he breaks the one that looks like Geppetto's face. Uh, So I thought that was a really strong visual there. Right. But at the same time, like, it's a strong visual, but then Pinocchio immediately goes, these look like my father's clocks. And, like, all of a sudden now he's got his conscience telling him that this is... And he says, like, this is bad. This is wrong. But why? Because this Pinocchio shouldn't know or understand why this is wrong or and why it's bad. Because nobody has told him it's bad. Correct. And if he's figuring it out on his own without the help of Jiminy Cricket, he should not have turned into a donkey. Because think about it. He should have turned into a boy. Because, did he smoke cigars? No. Did he drink beer? No. Did he do anything wrong other than simply go there because he didn't know where he was going? He played pool, but I'd hardly call that. When I was a kid, I had the three-in-one tournament table. It was the hockey, the air hockey, the ping pong, and the pool table. I knew how to play pool. Right. Playing pool is not inherently bad, but Pinocchio gets himself into trouble by drinking and smoking. He doesn't do any of that here. So simply by showing up at Pleasure Island, he's a quote-unquote bad kid and turns and starts turning into the donkey. No, and you can't make the argument that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time without his conscience. Correct. 
No. How do you feel about Lampwick here, Lewin Lloyd? Uh, I I love this kid. Scene stealer. He he's. I mean, let's call it what it is. He looks like he got plucked off of Arthur Avenue in the Bronx. He's so or newsies. Good. Yeah, <laughs> he's really good. Yeah, I liked him. Heck yeah. I, I thought he owned the part well. I, I thought that if, if other than Pinocchio himself, for the most part, I think the most like true to the original character in this film was Lampwick. I thought he did a nice job. The only thing that I don't love is that when they do the reveal that he's starting to turn, his whole head is a donkey already. And I will never forget the first time I saw this film in the animation when he turns around and it's just the ears and the buck teeth, how much that bothered me. It was I supposed to. I wish they had left. Even if you were going to CGI it, I wish they had done half and half and let the the child's facial features still come through before he fully turned. And then when they do the actual turn, I mean, again, CGI, you're telling me that it was too hard to do this projection practical? Give me a break. How did you feel about the shadow monsters grabbing children and turning them into donkeys? Awful. Awful. They look like the Dementors, so you're ripping off Harry Potter and why? Well, the thing was, these kids, by being a misbehaved, not misbehaved, by being a bad kid at Pleasure Island, you expose yourself as an ass. That's literally what happens. That's you turn into an ass because you are one. Right. In this case, simply by being there and misbehaving, a shadow monster grabs you and turns you into one. It it takes so much of the symbolism yes. out of it. It completely undoes all of the good that came from you reap what you sow. Right. And they really could have, especially if they fleshed out a little bit of what I was talking about before when Pinocchio is asking all these questions... Um, it's on his way to school. If he started to question everything and Geppetto kind of took a beat and went, huh, he may need to get a formal education. You could have also planted there. Derivative of Lion King, yes, but I don't care. Stay away from the elephant graveyard. Geppetto telling him, stay away from Pleasure Island. Because all of these scenes in Pleasure Island are also cut against with Geppetto realizing, oh, no, he didn't come home, um, which kind of takes me out of it because immediately he grabs Figaro and Cleo to go on this search. I think it would have been more effective if, like, he ventured out on his own, realized Pinocchio, like, hadn't gotten lost. And, and then he realizes, OK, I need to go sell all of these clocks and buy a boat with them and go to Pleasure Island. It's like, how did you know that that's where he was? Um, when he when he finally finds out from Sophia, she drops the flyer in front of him, and he's like, is this where Pinocchio is? Yeah, because they advertise Pleasure Island. Right, exactly. And he goes, like you do. It's a catastrophe. Why? Why do you know that? Why is this a catastrophe? You could have set all of this up much earlier. Yeah, why is why is Pleasure Island this place that everybody seems to know about? The, I'm saying he should have been, Pinocchio should have been cautioned away from it from the jump, and that also would have been 
it, it actually would have addressed what you were talking about before. Pinocchio doesn't really do anything bad on Treasure Island or Pleasure Island, excuse me, that would merit him turning him into a donkey. So just on the basis of you were told not to go and you went, boom, donkey, then I'd buy it. Right. Um, and then I'd also buy why Geppetto sells these clocks that he couldn't part with because his wife loved them to go and save Pinocchio because there's more of a threat there. Right. So Pinocchio escapes with Jiminy Cricket. They get out of Pleasure Island um, where we uh, where we you just said Treasure Island. Too. Yeah. Well, whatever. I just realized they escaped because Jiminy, much like Buzz Lightyear in another Tom Hanks film, lit a rocket. Yeah. So off we go. We're out. We see um, what's Fabina Fabiana. Yes. Uh, at the pier. Yeah. Stromboli's been arrested, and now she took control oh, of the puppet show. Come, okay. I'm I'm so happy that Stromboli got his comeuppance, and she was able to get out because they did do that whole. We we skipped over her her added song, which actually I really liked. That was another catchy ad for me, as much as it reminded me of like a Greatest Showman kind of a ripoff. I hate to say it. I did like that, but she had goals of becoming a ballerina. She wanted to get out, and oh, look, she did. It would have been so much more effective had Pinocchio had a hand in Stromboli getting arrested. Like, why would you even say that as a throwaway line when we don't see it happen, and Pinocchio, our, our main character, has no role in it? I got nothing for you. I got nothing for you. Believe it or not, that's not the most egregious thing that's happening here. Um, they So Geppetto is on his way to save Pinocchio. He's headed out to Pleasure Island. I do like that as an ad, actually, because it gives us more of a reason. Like, Monstro's not like a myth and a legend out at sea somewhere. He's sort of like trolling the mainland and Pleasure Island, so you have to cross paths with him. So for that much, I think it was a good ad. However, the rest of this is egregious because Jiminy and Pinocchio are coming back from Pleasure Island when Geppetto is headed there to save Pinocchio. Wouldn't they have crossed paths? And now Pinocchio is headed out to Geppetto and all of a sudden, he's adopted this mantra of positive thinking. Where did that come from? I don't know. I also don't know where Pinocchio becomes a motorboat, um, which you which you later see. A lot of weird things happen here. Um, the, one of the weirdest things... Now, you get... I loved... It's very subtle, but you get the Forrest Gump wave. Of course you do. Which I loved. Um, which is not just Tom Hanks. It's also Robert Zemeckis. Yeah. So I like that they kind of... Did a callback. I do. But the rambling, when Pinocchio, when Pinocchio uh, goes, I went to school, but then I got thrown out. But then I was in a puppet show. But then I was there. And then I went to Pleasure Island. And then I was a donkey. But now I'm here. And, and You got kicked out of school? Yeah. But then, but then Geppetto says, you did all of that in a day? Basically calling out how outrageous the timeline is. Yeah. And this is where it makes it feel like a parody. The other thing is that all of a sudden they need Sophia to do this airlift where he's water skiing, but he just swam Jiminy back the <laughs> yes! night before. And then he becomes a motorboat. 
like, are you kidding? I mean, I understand. Well, no, I don't understand why you didn't do the whole underwater scene because it's not like you had a wooden puppet that you needed to sink. You're telling me this was too difficult. If it's too difficult to sink Pinocchio to the bottom of the ocean with all the CGI you used, how the heck are we going to do Little Mermaid? I am terrified for Little Mermaid after this. I have no faith in Little Mermaid at this point. No. None at all. And this has nothing to do with the casting. Do not even come for us. And everything to do with the CGI. Yeah. I, I don't even know if I want to see it. I am too scared you, now. You, you I am took, officially tapping out. You took an all-star cast with an all-time great filmmaker in this film, and what a disaster it has unraveled into. Um, okay, so Monstro, which is basically now like the Kraken, because he's not just a whale. Now he's got tentacles and... I actually don't hate that. Oh, See, to me, I buy that more that it's this mythical creature guarding this mythical place as opposed to a sperm whale that eats people. Sperm whales aren't that big. At this at this rate, it's it's just like whatever. Um, okay, so we get swallowed up. We get out. We wash up on the shore, right? In... In, a, in an escape from Monstro that is not nearly as daring as it was in the original film, in my opinion. Yeah, especially because I, I was thinking, too, another ad, it would have been nice to learn what happened to Geppetto's family, like, if the son drowned. And, you know, it would have been even more brave of him to go risk it all for Pinocchio when he's clearly afraid of, of that happening to him, if he's afraid of the water. Yeah. Um, so now you're seeing that you would have seen it come full circle had we got that piece of information. It would have. But instead, now we get washed ashore. Let me ask you a question. Okay. This is a theory. Um, I live in a world where the film ends with Geppetto's death. Let me tell you why. When he washes up on the shore, Pinocchio says to him, we're all here. Yep. Yep. And Pinocchio's transformation, which I didn't see until you called it out on the last viewing. I thought he never transformed. I didn't either the first time I saw it, but you see the calves change. Just before they go into the light. Exactly. What are the odds that this film ends with Geppetto's death? Because Jiminy comes back on and basically says, well, that's the story. Some say this happened and Mm -hmm. some say this happened. But you never actually see Pinocchio turn into a real boy and have that celebration with Geppetto. They just walk off. As he slowly fades. I am not sure that Geppetto lived through the end of this film. Uh, I would definitely agree. And I think that the film is actually better for it in this version. Because in the original, I I think people forget Pinocchio is actually the one that drowned. He's still got his donkey ears and his tail, which, by the way, are gone now. Yeah. Because I think he's like, I have to save my father. And it was like, oh, boom. So that God. made him a good boy. So technically he should be human, but instead he's just donkeyless. Anyway, um, 
yeah, in the animated version, Pinocchio is the one that drowns and Geppetto gets him back home. Uh, and then, you know, it seems like he's dead, but then the blue fairy pops in one more time to save him, says that Pinocchio has proved to himself, and that is when she transforms him. To me, because we aren't seeing that transformation that he earned the right to being a real boy, it seems, you know, I mean, I agree with everything you said to begin with, but it also gives it more validity because this is Geppetto's heaven now that he's got his son. Yep. Um, now, I've also read that because Geppetto tells Pinocchio, and I'm glad that they did address this, uh, Geppetto says, you were never meant as a replacement. If that's what I made you think, I'm sorry. I I love you all on your own. Um, and then they all get up and leave. They're saying that that is now opening the door for a sequel. And God, I hope not. But. I mean, if if that's what you were going for, just to have a happy ending, it's weak sauce. I think the theory of of everybody dying makes more sense for this version of the story. Agreed. Final thoughts on Pinocchio? Uh, before we give our final thoughts, one thing that we haven't mentioned yet, and I think it's worth noting now because I'm not sure if you saw who does get the writing credit for these new songs. Uh, it is producer extraordinaire Glenn Ballard and, um, I hate to say this, Alan Silvestri. So I just wanted you to factor that in before we give the final synopsis. Because I wasn't disappointed enough. Um... (laughs) All right, final say. I'll just gonna go first. Here's my thing. I like the cast as I I like the cast on their own. I think some of the changes were okay. However, this is one of those scenarios where the parts are better than the sum, and this feel this film feels so bloody cheap. It just feels like they cut corners where they had to, in their opinion, which was everything. Um, And I've never seen, I think, in one film between the actors, the singers, and the director such an egregious waste of so much collective talent. It's inexcusable that this movie feels as cheap as it does. It's inexcusable that the movie misses the mark as bad as it does when it misses the mark. This is the frustrating thing, right? When the movie hits, it hits really well. When it misses, it misses twice as bad. So... I don't think I could say anything better than this is just okay. I mean, is it a, is it a bad movie? It's almost a bad movie. It's it's pretty close to being a bad movie. Um I think it's just okay. I agree with absolutely everything that you said until you got to the part where you said it's okay. That's what I thought the first time that I saw it. Uh, Not bad, not great. I didn't think that they totally blew it. I would even go so far as to say I thought 
it was very charming right up to the point where the blue fairy comes in and she transforms him and then it starts to fall apart a little bit. After watching it several more times and now really breaking it apart, I don't think it's okay. Um, I, I think that they ruined it. There were a couple of good additions that had they made them and kept true to the animation, it would have knocked it out of the park and and maybe would have made all of that CGI slightly more forgivable had you kept the story there and, and kept the story at that level that it was in the animation. Um, but quite frankly, they just didn't. I think the amount of CGI, whatever the circumstances were, I don't care because we are critiquing the final film so it doesn't matter what the budget was it doesn't matter that there was a global pandemic it's that you gave us cgi wooden cuckoo clocks and that's what we are judging so i think that the cgi really drags this one down um the added songs i can live with the cut songs i can't um and to your point it's an incredible ensemble cast but they are playing characters that have been completely destroyed. Um, so, yeah, I guess in short, my final synopsis is we're talking about a film that is made better by thinking they're all dead at the end of it. I mean, what what else do we need to say? Yeah, we want to know what you have to say about the 2022 live action remake of the classic Pinocchio. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. When we were planning our first family trip to Disney World, uh, Jackie was the first person that we thought of. Jackie helped us with every step of the planning. She helped us pick the right time of year to visit, to make sure we don't have big lines, and she helped us pick the right hotel for our itinerary and our budget. She also gave us uh, great recommendations when it came to scheduling our parks, our dining reservations, and the attractions. These days, it feels like there's a lot that goes into planning a Disney trip, and there's a lot that we just didn't know about Disney World, and we're just so thankful for Jackie's advice in making it all a little bit easier. Yeah, when we got to the property, we, we realized we wanted to add on another park day, so we texted Jackie early in the morning, and she got back to us right away, and that really helped us make it happen. We had some amazing meals and drinks. We went to Cinderella's Royal Table. We went to Oga's Cantina. We rode Rise of the Resistance without waiting on a long line. And on Jackie's recommendation, we saw the Epcot fireworks from the Skyliner. This was an unforgettable family trip to Disney World, and Jackie made it happen. Thank you, Jackie. So if you are interested in completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I at magicalvacationplanner.com. And if you don't reach out, I can't blame you because, well, we'll talk about it in the news. Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official monorail news sponsor, and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. Don't forget, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's work and all of her services. It is online at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N. 
kismetdesigns.com. Yes, definitely check it out and order your holiday cards through Karma and Kismet. Kelly's got some really cute stuff for the holidays. All right, we have a lot of news to get to, and I want to... I want to put this one out there first. I, I hate to use the term get it out of the way because it's obviously very sad and she was a Disney legend, but um, it's a little bit of older news at this point. We would have reported it on last week, but part and parcel because Nicole decided to pay us a visit and we're now our second hurricane in six weeks. Um, we did not get a chance to comment on the fact that Disney legend Alice Davis passed away at the age of 93. Um, an incredible career. A very nice, long life. Um, anybody that met her, they had nothing but the fondest things to say about her. Truly an incredible career. She got her start designing lingerie, and that's how she got into costuming. And then, you know, you go from lingerie to Pirates of the Caribbean and Carousel of Progress. I, I love it. All right. Let's talk about some of the other news that leads us to some news that we got earlier today. Things get really interesting here. Disney reported um, revenue of $20.15 billion for the company's fiscal fourth quarter, up 9% over the course of the year. Which you could probably argue has to do with them hitting their projected five-year numbers for Disney Plus within the first three. Disney Plus added over 12 million subscribers in the quarter, and the combined subscriptions for Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and Hulu hit 235.7 million subscribers, which was topping the expectations of the quote-unquote analysts. But they're still trying to see if that is going to equal profitability by 2024. That's noteworthy. It's also noteworthy that as per Variety, Disney is looking to develop an Indiana Jones show for Disney+. Plus. However, there's nothing firm yet. They're just looking to develop it. They obviously acquired the IP in the Lucasfilm acquisition. That's right? This is where things stop making sense, though. As Bob Chapek said, we are going to have to make tough and uncomfortable decisions. Now, it would defy logic that based on what we just told you, that Disney would be facing layoffs and hiring freezes, especially when they are so desperate for cast members here in Florida that they actually rented electronic signs to put outside of casting on I-4, encouraging people to apply now, and they've been having career and job fairs trying to get more cast members into the company, at least on a parks level. Right. It is just so strange to me that you could have over $20 billion in revenue, that you could exceed expectations when it came to subscribers, that you could add 12.1 million subscribers in this fiscal quarter. Talk about adding an Indiana Jones show because you're trying to develop more content for Disney+. Plus. You're looking to do it using your IPs that you already own because you already own it, so it's just revenue for you. All of this to be said... We're about to hit the wall? Why is that? 
No, and you have to imagine if they are looking to hire cast members for the parks, where are these budget cuts going to come from? It's going to be your executives, your production staff, um, which doesn't really add up either because now you're throwing all of this money into content for Disney Plus, but who's going to produce it? Well, this is the funny thing, right? When this news first started breaking in a typical JPEG fashion, it was deflected onto Disney Plus. It was like Disney Plus is the problem because we don't know if we can make it profitable. How you can't make something profitable with over 235 million subscribers paying you a monthly fee kind of defies logic. But they're sitting there wondering if it, if it can be profitable. So it kind of seemed like deflect, 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 deflect. And now it seems like, oh no, layoffs and hiring freezes are coming to the parks as well, even though you're spending time and money and resources trying to encourage people to apply for jobs and interview for jobs and start training for jobs that you're then not going to follow through on anyway. I wonder if that was sort of a knee-jerk reaction because he would rather, and it's probably more cost-effective to lose a couple of Disney Plus subscribers than to have you cancel your vacation. Because if you think that the layoffs are coming from the parks, we've seen what that looks like. We saw it in our 2021 vacation yeah. when it wasn't staffed properly. The The lines are so long. The parks have garbage everywhere. Garbage that's not being uh, taken out. Garbage in the street. Like, we saw it happen. Garbage floating in, in the waters of the Jungle Cruise. Uh, cutbacks on mousekeeping. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's everything. It's a snowball effect. I, I can see where... He'd rather lose a few subscribers than a few people canceling their vacations. I'm not saying that he's lying about where the budget cuts are coming from, which is one of the nicest things I'll say about him. Um, But it, it does sort of beg the question, is it really Disney Plus staff that is getting cut back or or is it actually the parks and he's not coming out and saying I it? think it's everything I think that um he has foot and mouth syndrome like he has for his entire existence when it comes to his time with the Walt Disney Company um I think that he got called on it I think he tried to deflect it and now it's just becoming clear that it's it's going to hit everywhere and what's what's alarming about that is go and listen to any of our dockside chats that we've had since we moved down here to Florida. We did a four and a half hour drubbing, absolute drubbing of the Walt Disney World Resort in November of 2021. And if you listen to any of our dockside chats since we moved here, we've talked about what an improved experience it's been. Mm -hmm. Well, the fact of the matter is, I guess things were going too good because this chucklehead just can't freaking help himself but put his foot in his mouth. And now you have people scared for their jobs and you have people now that don't even want to apply because it's like, why am I going to waste my time if you're going to lay me off anyway? Right. It's scary. But here's the other thing. They announced price hikes today. It's Where does it end? Well, this is my point, right? 
it's supply and demand. And I had a lengthy vent session on the last Dockside chat, so if you want to go back and hear what I had to say, you can go listen to it there. I'm not going to waste your time doing it a, a second time. Thank you. But the fact remains that you speak with your wallet. So people can be as upset as they are about the way that this guy is running the company, poorly, by the way, because even Jim Cramer went on television the other day and, and uh, pleaded for him to be fired. Um, the fact that people are still speaking with their wallets and spending money and they justify the price hikes, right? My my bigger concern is if you're telling me that the demand is high and the supply is low to the point where you're going to raise your prices again, how in the same breath can you eliminate staff positions and talk about still running an effective, efficient, guest-friendly experience? You can't. You can't. You just can't. No, you're right. Him being a numbers guy, what this tells me is he knows that this company for now, and that's going to change, I'll be honest with you. This money for this this company for now is going to make money in spite of itself. So he doesn't give a crap about your guest experience. He'll lay off. He'll he'll freeze hires. He's going to freeze pay raises. He doesn't care about you. He cares about your money. That is what he is telling you right now. When he hikes up the prices and he's cutting out staff that can make your guest experience better. He doesn't care about efficiency. He doesn't care if you wait on lines. He doesn't care if you waste your time because he already got your money. So until such time that he doesn't, he does and he doesn't care. Well... He's in for a very, very rude awakening because we were just in the parks this past weekend. Uh, we are going to talk about this in depth on our next Dockside Chat, which is coming soon. But it was our anniversary this past weekend. Uh, so we took some time off and we got to use our Pixie Pass for once. We were off on a Friday and a Monday and we got to go to Epcot and Animal Kingdom. Um, but in the past, we've always done this week because it's our anniversary and in that 2021 review, we talked about how horrible the crowds were. So just by happenstance of when we got the time off, we ended up in Epcot on Veterans Day and we were expecting an absolute nightmare for crowds. Last year, it was awful. It was an hour wait for like the for, for like the Canada booth. It was like an hour wait for the soup. I think we waited 45 minutes to get a cup of Joffrey's. And Every line France was ran out of food. Like, it, it was ridiculous. So we knew what we were getting ourselves into, but because we got the time off, we were like, all right, whatever, let's just deal with it. We're happy to go to Epcot. And we were so pleasantly surprised by how reasonable the crowds were. Considering it was a three-day weekend, um... Like, it didn't even feel crowded. It just felt normal. So my point is that I feel like that drop-off is already starting to happen. And what he doesn't realize is that people from 2020 and 2021 canceled their vacations. And most of them did their make goods this year. He is not prepared for this drop-off. And now that you've raised the prices, it's going to be twofold. You cannot exploit the people who are coming here on vacation to compensate for the attendance that you don't have. 
that that's going to equate to no attendance because nobody's going to want there's going to come a point where nobody wants to deal with this anymore. But until such time that that happens, he's got your money and that's what he cares about. Oh, but anyway, that's that. The we, dark side chat is the dark side rant is coming. It might not be as much of a rant because, I mean, that's the thing. Like we could talk about this again, but like this is just Bob Chapek. It's just like how many times can you talk about the same crap with this guy? He is what he is. His ass has to go. It's probably not happening until 2025, until his contract expires, unless the company truly does tank. I know the stock prices are in the tank right now, but you're also telling me you've got hundreds of millions of people subscribed to this service at a minimum of $7 a month. You have all of this revenue coming into the park. Like The ad-supported version is coming. It, uh, uh, until he's gone, he's not. Do I think that the Disney prices are going to keep escalating? I'm not so sure about that. I think they'll escalate under him, but I think you are going to get to a point where you do piss enough people off that once his ass is grass and he's gone, you bring in a new CEO, maybe it's Josh tomorrow, maybe it's somebody else that's a little bit more user-friendly, it would not surprise me at that point to see the prices come back down because then you've got a low supply with a high, or I'm sorry, you have a low demand with a high supply. Right. The minute you realize you start pricing people out and nobody wants to go anymore, especially when Universal down the road's opening a third park in two years, they're opening another gate. I think you will see the prices come back down eventually. I think that this is for us, for for those of you who are looking to do Disney trips or become annual pass holders in 2025, 2026, 2027. We're, we're falling so you can run. I think <laughs> that eventually you will see a swing back into the other direction. It's just that you're not seeing it right now. And I, I'm at this point, not that I needed more of a reason to believe it, but I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt because there was a part of me a few months ago that hoped that maybe he had figured some of it out. And I had even defended some of the things that he said more recently because he with was... With why he did the lightning lane. Yeah and, yeah, and and why. And he was a little bit more polished and with the reservation system and all that. And I just wish that they would have explained that a little bit better earlier on, but he didn't. But at this point, he's never going to get better. It's never going to get better underneath him. And we all just have to learn to live with it for now. But it's never going to improve under him. He is what he is. And this, unfortunately, it's a tough pill to swallow because you love Disney, right? This is what the company is until this man is no longer running it. Yeah, it's it's not forever. I agree. I think the prices will eventually come down. But hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. Yeah. We want to know what you have to say about Bob Chapek. I'm just going to leave it like that. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. Be sure to be following us on all of the social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. We love hearing from you. You can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. And for links to everything related to the show, it is always online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.